morning. Who's glad to be at church this morning? Come on, let's give God some praise today. He's got something good for us today. And uh, I uh, know you probably stayed up late watching UT, but uh, we're ready to rock and roll. If you didn't know, uh, we are one church in two locations. So I want to say hello to everybody in Knoxville as we get going this morning. Uh, This is the week, right? You've got one more week to get ready for Christmas. Who's excited? Not many, a few, uh, but some of us are. You know, when you think about Christmas, what is the best part about Christmas? Like for, for you, what, what would you say is the best, absolute, this is the best part. You can take everything else away, but don't take this part away from Christmas. How many of you would say the lights? Anybody just say the lights would be kind of your deal Like this is what you live for. You like to put the inflatables out there. You like to hang the lights on the the house. The kids love it. For some of you, it's the lights. How many of you would say it's the tree? The tree kind of sets the tone for you. And so the tree kind of lit in your living room just kind of makes everything feel like Christmas. Some of you would say the food. How many of you would say the food? All right. For many of us, it's going to be that dinner, that lunch that you sit together in, as a family and just pig out for uh, an hour or two with all the great desserts. And then for some of you, you're just going to be really spiritual and you're going to say, it's all about the family for me. I just want family. I just want to be around all of my uncles and nephews and nieces and all of those crazy people that you don't see until Christmas. And then some of you are going to say the obvious. How many of you would say it's the presents? Let's just be honest. I want presents. No matter what it is, I want the presents. Um, I think for many of us, we're all going to have uh, different uh, perspectives on what we think the greatest part of Christmas really is. And so today I want us to think about that and I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 2 because when we think about the best part about Christmas, I would say the greatest thing that we often overlook is that we don't have to keep chasing things that don't fulfill us. The greatest part about Christmas is we don't have to live in confusion. We don't have to worry about our eternity any longer. We don't have to worry and fear this life any longer. What's going to happen to us? Because something greater has happened. We can learn in this scripture today about what it really looks like to seek and to find the one thing, the one person that changes everything. For a lot of us, when we look at the story, uh, we've been looking at different characters in the story of Christmas. But when we come to this part of the story, we're going we're gonna to look at the, the men called the Magi or uh, the wise men. And so when we look at their example, they, they are seeking the Messiah. They're seeking to worship him. And it's the example that you and I need in our life today. We need to be reminded that Christmas is about uh, seeking and, and, and worshiping and finding this king who has changed everything in our life. And so as you, as you turn there, who, who were these guys? Who are the Magi? And, and so we know that they came from the east. They were uh, probably from Persia. And 
These were like ambassadors. They, they were very influential men in their uh, area. They, they would have been educated men. And so educated in the science and the, in the astrology and, and uh, probably even medicine of, of their day. And so we don't know how many there were. I know we sing the song, We Three Kings, but we don't know how many uh, was in this group. People say three because there were three gifts, but we don't really know. Uh, we don't really know when they came. We know it wasn't the day that Jesus was born. Uh, it was probably two years roughly after his birth. So Jesus is probably like two years old when, when they come on the scene. Um, but we, we can kind of imagine them, at least this is how I like to imagine them. Uh, I, I view them as kind of like the Jedi Knights of the East. And so if you're looking for a, a visual picture, that's who these guys are. Let's read the story in Matthew 2. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means at least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who, shall, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the king, for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. We learn a lot in this passage. And one of the main things we learn is really how to worship Jesus. The wise men teach us a lot of things. And, and I think it's some, some things that we need to apply to our life today. And, and uh, I want to start with this truth because I think this truth is, is true of every human being. You and I have an inner desire to find something worthy and worship it. Let's just start with, with that truth today. Um, if you want to know what you worship, just follow the signs, follow the evidence. Where's your energy going? Where's your passion going? Where's your money going? Where's your time going? Just do a little inventory of your life and, and you can follow that trail and you can learn and discover what you think is worthy to worship. And, 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 and that's the exercise that we have to do on a continual basis. In verse 2, it says that the wise men are searching for a king to worship. And so they're, they're searching, they're seeking, and they're pursuing something that was worthy to be praised, worthy of their worship. And so they were hungry, they were thirsty to find Jesus because they wanted to worship this newborn king. We all have an inner desire to find something that is worthy of our praise and to worship it. God put that desire there. 
God put it within each of us. It's why all over the world today, people are worshiping their version of a God. They're worshiping idols. They're worshiping something. They're worshiping an image. They're worshiping a, a story. Or for many of us in America, we might find an idol in something like money. For many people, we, we struggle with this. Money isn't bad. It's not good. It's it's just this inane object that we all know that we need and uh, we need it to survive. But when we become fixated on it, when we become a, a lover of money, then it becomes an idol. And when it becomes an idol, it takes the place of God in our life and our energy, our passion, uh, all of our thoughts tend to go towards how can I get more of it? Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income. So on our journey to find something worthy, a lot of times we are tempted to chase after money as an idol. And when we do that, we'll be disappointed every single time because the pursuit of money will leave us empty, just like every other idol in our life. As soon as we make more, we spend more. As soon as we spend more, we need to figure out how we can make more. And the endless cycle of an idol like money continues. On our journey to find something worthy to praise and to worship, sometimes we'll chase after pleasure. And so we want uh, sex, we want relationships, we want something like a vacation, we want an experience that's going to bring us joy, that's going to bring us pleasure. But the pursuit of pleasure doesn't satisfy us because as soon as we have the experience Eventually it ends. It's only a week. It's only a, a, a high from alcohol or drugs or whatever it is. The pleasure happens. The dopamine hits our brain and then it ends. And then you know what? We, we, we've got to find it again. We've got to chase the next high. We've got to chase the next uh, opportunity to find pleasure. But the reality is, and we know this to be true, I don't think you would argue with me, pleasure is actually fleeting. It's fleeting. Now, let's, let, let me prove that to you. On the count of three, yell out what you got for Christmas last year. One, two, three. <laughs> we don't know what we got for Christmas because whatever made us happy last year is not making us happy any longer. Uh, for a lot of us, it's already at Carm. It's in a closet somewhere. We don't really even look at it. We don't even remember what we got. Because what brought us happiness and joy last year is not bringing us happiness and joy this year. So it is with every idol that we would chase in our life. You see, when you have a physical need, uh, it, it can be met with a physical solution. So when I'm hungry, I can go eat a big steak and that will fulfill me uh, physically for a little while. But a but, but here's what's interesting. The desire to find something worthy of worship is a spiritual need. It's a spiritual hunger. It's a spiritual thirst. And spiritual needs can't be satisfied with physical things, right? How do you know if you are spiritually unfulfilled? How do you know if you have a spiritual hunger in your life? And, and the answer is you, you, you will have um, this spiritual hunger that's evidenced by feeling empty inside. If you've ever felt empty, like there's, there's, there's just meaninglessness in your life, that's a spiritual hunger. 
Um, if you've ever felt lonely or separated or, or, or just isolated, that, that's a spiritual result. That's a spiritual hunger that is happening. If you feel like you don't have any hope today, that's a spiritual desire. If you don't feel like you really understand your purpose today, that's a spiritual desire. And those are signs that you have a spiritual need. But what we tend to do is we grasp in our attempt to fill those spiritual needs, we grasp physical things to fulfill those spiritual needs. And it leaves us empty every single time. Physical things can't quench a spiritual thirst, a spiritual hunger. This is where addictions come from. We have these addictive behaviors in our life, whether, whether they are things like simple as TV or maybe drinking alcohol, smoking cigarettes or any kind of drug addiction. All of these things stem from our desire to fulfill a spiritual need in our life. But in that we are grasping for physical things to help us cope with those spiritual needs. But a spiritual hunger is only fulfilled by, by, by the spirit of God. And the, and, and the God that created us And the God that loves us created this inner desire to have this spiritual need that could only be satisfied by him. So that means in order to have those spiritual needs fulfilled and satisfied, we have to go to God and worship him. And so the greatest part about Christmas is not the lights, it's not family, it's not the food, it's not the presents. The greatest part about Christmas is that God sent his son into the world to fulfill our spiritual need. That's the greatest part about Christmas. And so when it comes to worshiping Jesus, the greatest part about Christmas for us is recognizing that God sent his son and God sent his son to save us from our sins. And and so that means the greatest thing we can do and the greatest thing we can experience is authentic worship. It's when we recognize the idols in our life and we, we smash them, we surrender them, we confess them, and then we give our time, energy, focus, energy, passion, all of this back to the only one that deserves it, the only one that is worthy, and the only one that can actually fulfill us. And so in this story, we, we, we saw authentic worship. I don't know if you saw it, but it's there. And so my, my question today is, how do we worship like the wise men? How, how can you and I worship like the wise men today? Cut through all the clutter of Christmas and busyness and, and all the other things that are happening at work. And, and how do we get to a point, yes, this Christmas, but really every day of our life and every season of our life, and we worship like them, like the wise men. Here, here we go. Here are four things I want you to see today. The first one is you desire to worship him. It's pretty simple. In verse two, they're, they're asking the question, where is he? Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw the star when it rose and we've come to worship him. So there's a desire to seek him. There's a desire to find him. And so the wise men had this desire and, and they believed that he was worthy. And, and, and so they, they go on this journey to seek him. And it, it, we might ask why, how, how did they get to that point? And And the reason why they had this desire is because they saw a message. And the message for them was was, was a star. The star, and and, and they saw the star, and they they believed that the star was the sign. And there are a lot of theories out there about how they knew uh, that this star was was significant. And and, uh, 
the reality is we just don't know how they knew. There's a, a lot of, um, you know, interpretations that we could run around in, but that the, the bottom line is this. They actually believed that that was the sign. And so the message that God gave to them led them to go on this journey, the spiritual journey to find the one who is worthy of praise. And you are on that spiritual journey as well. We're all in different places on that journey. Some of you are still seeking and trying to figure out if you're going to trust this, this message. Some of you maybe have, have figured out who Jesus is, but you're on this journey of kind of, kind of sometimes picking up the reins and living life for yourself and, and then you know, realizing that's not going to work and laying it down and trusting him. And so we're all on this journey of, of kind of growing and then, and then sometimes struggling with sin and then wrestling with that and moving forward. For some of us, the message, though, that, that convinced us to give our life to Jesus was, was clearly in the Bible. We saw what the Scripture said, and so we gave our life to Jesus. For some, the, the message was a sermon. Somebody preached the message, and God convicted you. It wasn't that man's words. It, it was God's Holy Spirit convicting you to say, yes, this is what you need to do with your life. For some of you, you saw someone else's life, and their life was a testimony to you. And you said, you know what? They're different. Their marriage is different. Their, the way they run their business is different. I want what they have. And that, that was the message that led you to believe. Some of us were still struggling with, can we trust the Bible? Can we, can we trust the message of Christmas? And I would encourage you that, yes, you can. But just like the wise men, you could ask this simple question, where is he? Where is he? What a powerful prayer that might be for some of you who are kind of struggling today. Maybe you're going through a difficult situation or maybe you're really wrestling with, can I give my life to Jesus? Is it time for me to do that? Am I, am I struggling in this? And, 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 and could I just simply say, where are you, Lord? And maybe another way to simply say it is, God, reveal yourself to me. Jesus, reveal yourself to me. I wanna seek you, I wanna find you. Some of you might say, if you are real, Reveal yourself to me. A powerful prayer. I want to encourage you to share to God today. Uh, they, they ask a simple question. Where is he? Right? For some of us who maybe have committed our life to Christ, it's a great reminder for us. Because idols creep into our life. No matter how much we feel like we love Jesus, idols tend to creep in. And before we know it, we wake up and all I think about and all I'm passionate about is something other than God, something other than Jesus. And when we realize that, then it's like, whoa, 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 God, forgive me. Like, I, I can be passionate about something, uh, but, but my passion for it cannot supersede my commitment to Jesus. And so there's that balance there of recognizing Jesus as Lord and then prioritizing my time, my skills, my resources around Jesus and then letting everything else kind of fall under that. And so just like the Israelites in the wilderness, we've got to recognize that those idols creep up. We've got to smash them and have a desire to worship Jesus only. Secondly, I think we learn how to worship here from the wise men. You humble yourself to honor Jesus. You humble yourself to honor Jesus. In verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. See, worship is a response to whatever it is we're worshiping. It's a response. 
And so the appropriate response to the greatness of Jesus is to humble yourself before him and to worship him. The wise men bowed down. They recognized that they were in the presence of someone greater. And maybe we rush into church and out of church without recognizing this, but we are in the presence of greatness. Not me, no one on this stage, no one sitting beside you. The presence that we are in this morning is the presence of a holy God. And it's not just in a worship experience. It's in your living room, it's in your bedroom, it's in your car. The presence and power of God, the greatness of God is always near. He is within us. And so that means that our worship in humility to him, to bow down and worship him can happen. Yes, in this room and should in this room every single week. But yes, it could be the first thing when you roll out of bed, you hit your knees and you thank God and you praise God and you humble yourself before him and you say, God, today is your day. I worship you, I need you. See, that's the appropriate response that every day we would worship him, we would humble ourselves because we are in the presence of greatness. Now these men, they, they come to a two-year-old child, roughly two years old, and, and nobody is going to bow down to a two-year-old unless they believe he's the child and son of God. And so that's the appropriate response to recognize that you're in the presence of someone great. And the Christmas story has several examples of this. The Christmas story, as, as the last couple of weeks we've seen, we, we saw Joseph who had a plan for his life. He had a, you know, this whole thing mapped out and then God interrupts his life. But the worship that we saw in Joseph was not to get angry and to run away from God's plan. He embraces God's plan by humbling himself and then he follows God in obedience. And that's the key. We, we, we see obedience happen after humility. If you think you are the one dictating the plan, and if you think you are the one that needs to make all the decisions, then that's not humility, that's pride. Humility says, God, I don't know what to do. God, I want to follow you. God, I sense this is the direction you're calling me to live. And we know how he wants us to live from his word. And so then we follow in obedience. We saw the life of Mary and Mary again, she has a plan. She has it all mapped out, but then she gets the message that she's going to carry the son of God and, and everything in her life is turned upside down. Her plans are ruined. She has a choice. She could be angry, upset. She, she could, she could have done a million different things, but what does she do? She surrenders to God's plan. So her act of obedience her humility was that she was offering God faith remember what she said let it be to me according to your plan according to your will what a powerful prayer whatever we're going through God messes up your plans and we sing the song even if he doesn't and that song represents this this idea that God I pray and ask believing 100% that you have the power and the ability to do whatever it is I'm praying for but even if you do not, I'm going to worship you. Even if you do not, you're still God. I trust your plan. That's faith. And that's what Mary demonstrates. Her response to God is not anger. Her response to God is humility. Her response is worship through her faith. Last Sunday, I saw a beautiful picture of people all across this room 
standing up with their hands in surrender to God. What a, what a beautiful picture I got to see last week. I wish you guys could have seen hundreds of people surrendering to God. That is an act of worship. That's humbling ourselves before God that he, he might receive that worship in, in our faith and in our obedience. What I love about the story of the wise men is, is their plans weren't interrupted the same way that Mary and Joseph's plans were interrupted. They actually had a desire and and, and, and they saw the message, the, the, the sign of the star, and they decided to interrupt their own plans. In other words, they were intentional about their worship. They went seeking after Jesus, intentionally wanting to find him and intentionally wanting to humble themselves before him. And I think that's a great word for us to be intentional about our worship. So often, man, we get lazy spiritually. And we take for granted the country we live in. We take for granted what Christmas means. We take for granted this church and the leaders in this church and our small group and our, our family and our friends and the message of, of the gospel. We take it for granted. And when we look at their life, it's a great example of this is what intentional worship looks like. This would have been an expensive trip. This would have taken a lot of time. This would have totally gotten them away from family and friends and everything that they knew in a country they didn't know that, you know, very, very unsafe, standing before King Herod, which we know he was crazy. He, you know, he, he wound up killing every child under two years old in the area. Hundreds of, of babies being murdered. They're standing before him. In fact, Herod killed many of his family members because he was crazy. And so they could have been killed. They, they, they could have gone to jail. They risk all of this to find Jesus, to worship Jesus, to humble themselves before God's plan. I love it. And so I think it's important for us to be intentional about our worship. In January, I started a brand new series called Just One Bite. And uh, we're going to talk about some healthy spiritual disciplines in our life that can help us be intentional about our worship and, 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 and grow that relationship. So we've got to be humble in order to honor Jesus. And then thirdly, what we see, you offer your gifts to Jesus, right? This is our favorite part in verse 11. Then opening their treasures, they offered to Jesus gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So uh, all the young people in the room, students, the reason why you're getting presents is because of the wise men. So we love these guys, right? That's the example uh, that we receive. And, and uh, you know, I think, Kids are excited about this. A lot of moms in the room are a little stressed out about gifts. <laughs> You've got one more week. How, how, many, how many of you guys have finished all of your, your, your gifts? You, you're done. Not bad. Not, not, not a lot, but, but, but a few. How many of you have actually wrapped all of your presents and you're, you're done with even wrapping? Wow, that's impressive. That We give it up to all of you. I don't know what it is with ladies and wrapping paper, <laughs> but y'all love some wrapping paper. <clears throat> I don't get it, but uh, my wife, she was rapping this week and she, you know, got it finished and she put it under the, under the tree and she was so happy and she was like, look, look, the wrapping paper matches the tree and all of the ornaments. <laughs> and she was so cute and it was so, she was so happy. And so I was like, honey, nobody cares. <laughs> I did not say that, but I don't know what it is about wrapping paper, but you guys love it. Dudes, we're, we don't care about the wrapping paper. We want what's inside the wrapping paper, right? We don't care about that. And when the wise men show up, they bring gifts, but we don't see anything about 
wrapping the presents, do we? We don't see that at all. And I think if we did see it, it would probably be in the Bible because Mary would have said something. She would have been like, and lo, Mary saw the presents and said, oh, the paper's so pretty. <laughs> or something like this. It could be something like this, like, and Joseph was gathering the gift bags to throw in the trash. And Mary said, you shall not throw the gift bags in the trash, Joseph. <laughs> we shall use them next year. <laughs> no wrapping paper in the scripture. But I started today by asking, what's the best part about Christmas and a lot of us said gifts. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of us think that's kind of the central theme, and, and uh, we, we, we love it, and it is fun. It's a great tradition. But at the same time, it's stressful, and I guarantee every single one of us has that one person that you're buying for that's impossible to buy for. How many of you have that one person that is impossible? What do you get this person? If you didn't raise your hand, you might be the guy everybody's stressed out about. But I think about this and I think about, man, what, what could we give to God, right? So the wise men are, are bringing gifts to God. What can you and I give to a God that has everything? <laughs> he doesn't need anything from me. He doesn't need anything from you. In fact, everything that, that I have, every single ounce of who I am, my very life, my very spirit, he owns it's all his. So what can I, what can you actually give to God? And the answer, the only thing is yourself. The only thing you can give him is your worship. The only thing that we can actually provide for him that he desires is our worship of him. To, to, to find pleasure, to find the ultimate satisfaction in a relationship with him and knowing him and in worshiping him, and in serving him. God is most happy when you and I find the most enjoyment and fulfillment in a relationship with him. So what this means for our life is it means that we give him our best. That's why at FC, one of our values is Jesus deserves our best. He deserves your best. He deserves your, your best energy, your best focus, the best part of your day. He deserves your time. He deserves your energy. He deserves your humility. He deserves everything. And he deserves our first and our best, not our leftovers. And so if we give him leftovers, if we give him the second thought, then, then this Christmas we, we miss the greatest part. We miss the greatest possible thing we could ever experience if we chase idols and we chase all of these um, you know, these spiritual needs by, by getting physical things, we wound up, we wind up continually to feel empty inside and scripture would call us to worship him and to find joy in, in, in everything in him, right? Authentic worship starts with a desire to worship him. Then we move to humble ourselves before him. We offer our gifts to him. And then finally, you follow the words of Jesus. You follow. In verse 12, and being warned in a dream, God warns them in a dream not to go back to Herod. So they departed to their own country by another way. Everybody say another way. Another way. Here's the reality. When God tells you to do something, you don't go your way anymore. You go his way. 
They departed, they went another way. In other words, they changed their direction. Write this down if you're taking notes. Authentic worship causes you to go in a different direction. A different direction. Some of you come to church week in and week out and you're not going a different direction. Week in, week out, go home, keep going the same way. You see, when you experience authentic worship, it changes your direction. Yes, ultimately in faith when God saves you, but then every other day after that, as we worship Him, as we seek Him, we are following Him. That means He's changing our attitude. He's changing our desires. He's changing everything about who we are. And that requires a change of direction. The Bible calls it repentance. And it's a practice, it's a spiritual habit that every day we should be experiencing. This is what worship is. God, I am sorry, again. I confess that I am an idiot, again to my wife. I was an idiot again as a parent, as a boss, whatever it is. And so God, I confess that I need you. And I wanna walk in you and through you and for you, change my direction. Some of you need a change of direction today. We've all heard the definition of insanity, right? Definition of insanity is, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And that's where some of you are in. You're just like spinning your wheels. 2022, another year has come and another year is about to go. And you've been doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Same results in your family, same results financially, same results just in your spiritual life. Still chasing spiritual things by, by eating physical things in your life that just leave you feeling empty. And here you are, 30, 40, 50 years old, you still don't know your purpose. Isn't it time to like run to Jesus? To seek Jesus in authentic worship? Right, continually worshiping him to find your hope in him. Some of you need to change your direction. Some of you know some people in your life that need a change of direction. And so I hope, I hope that you know the culture here at Foothills Church is to invite people to church. Every Sunday is a good Sunday to invite people to church. And so especially on Christmas, because most everyone in this area is going to be going to church somewhere. So this is the easiest time, even easier than Easter, it's the easiest time to be someone who is intentional about inviting people to come to church. And, and you might invite 10 people and only one person out of those 10 actually comes. Well, that's actually a really good percentage. And so I wanna encourage you to at least invite 10 people. Invite 10 people next Sunday because we talk about who Jesus is this is that seed that gets planted in someone's life that ends up transforming their life. And, and we may know him and you may, you may be struggling with idols in your life and, 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 and you're dealing with a lot of heavy things in your life, but at least you know who Jesus is and you have hope. There are some who do not. And so this Christmas, I hope you'll invite some family, invite some friends, and uh, it's gonna be a powerful, amazing day. You know, the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus. A lot of people say there's some symbolism behind those. You've probably heard this, but just to remind you, the gift of gold represents this idea that, that it emphasizes Jesus's uh, royalty. So he's king. He's our king, right? We, in America, we don't, 
we don't really understand that. But in every other culture, this would have been a huge, like, symbolic imagery. That Jesus is our king. That means he's our ruler. That, that means he's in charge. And so we bow to him. The gift of frankincense symbolizes his deity because in temple sacrifices, they would have burned uh, frankincense and the smell would have risen up to God. And, and that was a, a symbolic way of representing Jesus's deity. And, and then myrrh really symbolizes Jesus's humanity. Um, myrrh was used for several purposes. One of them was to embalm a dead body. And, and so we see that foreshadow, foreshadowing the, the death of Jesus. And what's interesting is that myrrh is given to Jesus as a baby. And then the next time we see Jesus uh, receiving myrrh is when he's hanging on the cross and they mix some wine with myrrh. And then in John 19, Nicodemus prepares Jesus's body with myrrh. And so all of that, all of these gifts remind us of his purpose. And his purpose was to die for our sin, to pay for our sin. And if you've received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you've received that forgiveness, then you know that the greatest part about Christmas is when we can truly worship Him and dial in on Him. Today, some of you maybe have never done that. And it's real easy. What, what, what you do is you look at, where, where's my energy going? Where's my passion going? Where are my thoughts going? What do I think about? What do I spend a lot of money on? When you, when you put all of that together, it's, a, it's, it's not a hard math equation. You put it all together and if you're honest and you look at it and you put it on paper, you can see that it easily points to a physical thing that you're running to. And it's in that moment that, that you recognize, okay, I've, 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 I've got to give my life to Jesus. I confess that I'm, I'm doing this on my own. That his death, that his resurrection, is what is required for me to, to, by faith, receive him into my life, receive forgiveness and have then purpose and hope and meaning and have a life of, of understanding how that is answered and, and how he feel, fills us in every area and part of our life. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus, I wanna encourage you to go to our care and prayer room today and just walk in there and just say, I need help. I wanna give my life to Jesus. And they'll pray with you, they'll talk with you. They'll give you some resources that'll help you on this journey. For the rest of us, we're gonna close today in worship, an opportunity to sing to God, our King. And so let's take advantage of this, that it would reorient our thought and our life and our attitude and truly, truly find the greatest part about Christmas, which is worshiping Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for Christmas and all the great things that it means for us, to tr the tradition, the family, the, the food, the gifts, all of it, God, is, is, is great and fun. But Lord, if we miss you, we miss everything. And so God, we wanna ask that in this season, in this time, help us to fix our eyes on you. Help us to seek you. Help us to find you. There are some people in the room seeking you today, God. May they find you this Christmas. As we worship you, Lord, speak to our hearts as we confess sin, as we turn from sin, as we change direction every day, changing direction from our way to your way. Give us insight and give us, give us your path and give us your plan. 
as we seek to follow you today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.